Lost on a train, lost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got the words. Cooking dough. Cooking dough. What? Oh, someday. You look like the little kids, like the little girls, uh, when their mom does their hair for picture day and, and they all shiny. I'm all shiny. Yeah. <laughs> Just for me, Miami. <laughs> That's what he said. That's what he said. <laughs> Miami, Amsterdam, Tokyo, Spain. Oh, do, do, do. Why you like to work, B-Mo? <laughs> Why you like to work, B-Mo? He said India anywhere? He said India yes, nowhere? He does. He All says right, Los Angeles, India. <laughs> India, Sweetheart. What's up, sweet thing? I think we got a good show for the people today. Hit the intro for us. Let's get it started. Okay. Let's get it popping. not me saying yeah on the track though but welcome back to another episode of wake and make with be mo yeah okay this is your solution baked podcast this is your opportunity to get the newest things from black on black through black a top black all the prepositions towards black okay as we build a new uh blueprints to what is black culture i am your host i am bmo culture Analyst, observer, <laughs> producer, curator. I was talking to my man Evan the other day, and he was like, "You know, when you start telling people all the things that y'all you are, they assume that every additional thing you say takes away from the main focus, which mm -hmm. is not true. I am a lot of things, absolutely, and I am a lot of things. Well, you can be a lot of things, and you can be more than one thing. Right. With me, as you can hear her lovely voice, we have the lady of the house. Make sure we say good morning. Hey, good morning, y'all. Lady of the house is our true is our extraordinary. Uh, producer, think of her like Sybil slash Robin. Um, and people ask me, why you don't put Lady House on camera? To which I respond, I mean, she's got out of bed. <laughs> I mean, we just got up. I'll take the risk of being shiny. The only reason I'm shiny right now is because I was dusty a second ago. <laughs> Shout out to Nami. <laughs> Shout out to Nami. <laughs> Shout out to Nami. That's right. That's the only reason I'm shining right now is because I was a dusty a second ago. And I couldn't come on here with my dusty face. We got all these lights. You'd have seen the ash. Just poofing off of my face. Just <laughs> We have some wonderful things we want to talk to you about this morning. 
Um, of course, my notes have not updated, so I don't know. I don't remember what those things are. But we, of course, it's Thursday, so it's time for our Paul Robeson Negro of the Week Award. Now, we're also going to have a conversation about an old show from the 90s called Cosmic Slop. And I want to entertain the argument, something I read in the New Yorker yesterday. I've actually read two articles now, one from one from Vox in 2018 and one from the New Yorker in 2020. Should the Supreme Court exist? Mm. Mm. So we got some great things we want to talk about to you first, but always we're being brought to you by Washington Informer Bridge, wibridgedc.com or at wibridgedc on all social media platforms. Make sure you check out some of the cool stories that are happening on there, including the opening of Somewhere. We have a review of the National Cannabis Fest by your boy. Uh, there's some other, of course, greatly sourced black news coming from that area. Uh, today is the last day we'll be we'll be running the ad for the media print, so we want to, this is your last chance. <laughs> if you haven't done so, we need to check out the Media Prince at the Media Prince. That's his name. I know some people saw me on that magazine cover, Prince Mag. That's his mag- magazine. Oh, nice. Right. I'm, we are the. I am a DMV man in the media. You know what I mean? I'm very conflicted about that title, though. I, I, me and you've had that conversation several times. And and uh-huh. sweetheart, I'm just not. Uh, I'm not comfortable celebrating my masculinity. That's something to unpack. Yeah, I'm not comfortable. Maybe because I'm not. I yeah. I I consider myself masculine, but I'm not comfortable celebrating it because I feel like public celebration of masculinity um, I feel like would give niggas excuses to uh, fall upon the things that are not on the precipice of a new nigga so I have a trouble with that but anyway that's not what we're talking about new men of media appreciate you media prince let's check him out for the last time he's gonna bring us art and entertainment we bring you culture and taste art and entertainment we bring you history and politics and we got all things D.C. I even got you covered, Maryland and Virginia. Welcome to What's Going On, D.C. You Media Prince, we had a good run, Media Prince. We had a good run. Um, so we appreciate you sponsoring and supporting the show. So let's get to today's topics. Oh, shoot, I did that already, didn't I? Yeah. Did I say the topics already? Yeah. Well, just to repeat, we got three topics we want to talk about. We want to talk about Cosmic Slop, an old show. We're going to give out the Paul Robeson Negro of the Week. But first, the first thing I want to talk about is this argument that I saw about the existence of the Supreme Court. I will say if you're here to hear me talk about Dave Chappelle being attacked on stage, then I suggest that you look at our comment, now nah, my story from yesterday. Um, you should already know it's, it's new blueprints around here. Disrespect would not be tolerated nor expected. Um, if Dave Chappelle doesn't feel safe on stage and I, I suggest he stop disrespecting people on stage but it didn't work out for the nigga that ran up on him though so you know uh, cause and effect and I don't mean my favorite rapper I mean mm-hmm. the principle of the universe you can run up on somebody if you feel disrespected but I don't mean that you gonna automatically have the strength of 10 guys to whoop his ass alright so be careful out there while you demanding your respect and maybe think about different ways that you can demand your respect without getting your elbow turned inside out just a thought <laughs> just a thought just a thought uh, but the other things, oh, but I want to start off the conversation with the Supreme Court. Lady of the House, if you don't mind, click the Supreme Court tab, um, and then you have to interact with the browser and press play. I want the people to listen to the first two minutes of this argument. I'm going to be honest with you, it's Supreme Court stuff. It's dry. <laughs> it's dry, but it's a very interesting argument about the existence of the Supreme Court, especially in in light of the new leakage, which is interesting. I've never heard of a leak from the 
Supreme Court. Them, what? There's got to be some hip hop nigga in there right now. Like, you know, I'm going to drop this shit on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> Not a leak from the Supreme Court. A leak from the Supreme Court that's overturning Roe versus Wade, which then made me think about the purpose of the Supreme Court. And as a, mm, I say this, I say this very loosely as a studier of the American system, you always know that the three forms of government have checks and balances. Well, I'm starting to think maybe there shouldn't be three. We should keep it down to two and let the courts be the courts. So mm-hmm. let's uh, hit the situation and press play on that interaction. And I would love uh, this author from New Yorker to give us uh, just a couple of minutes. It's a whole 26 minute article, but I'm encouraging, we're just gonna listen to the first two minutes of it. Uh, and then we'll come back and have some discussions about what the Supreme Court is and how we might be able to disband. The Case for Ending the Supreme Court as We Know It Written by Kiyanga Yamada-Taylor Read by Janina Edwards Last week, Donald Trump was confronted with a new accusation of sexual assault. Trump, as always, denied it. And then delivered a bizarre speech at the National Archives, demanding ideological conformity and public school curricula through what he described as patriotic education that celebrates the truth about our nation's great history. Instead of facing scrutiny or scorn for these latest outrages, he has been awarded yet another opportunity to select a justice to serve on the Supreme Court. Trump barely concealed his delight at the chance to replace Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, tweeting at the Republican Party the morning after Ginsburg's death. We were put in this position of power and importance to make decisions for the people who so proudly elected us, the most important of which has long been considered to be the selection of United States Supreme Court justices. We have this obligation without delay. It is simply unconscionable that Trump, who lost the popular election by millions of votes, who was impeached last December for abuse of power, and who has openly espoused racist, xenophobic, and sexist ideas, while also encouraging political violence against his perceived opponents, will, with voting in the presidential election already underway, select a third candidate for a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court. Of course, no one has forgotten that after Justice Antonin Scalia died in February 2016, the Republican Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, refused to hold a Senate hearing for President Obama's nominee to the court, Merrick Garland, effectively blocking Obama from choosing Scalia's replacement. Now, with McConnell still in power, there is little doubt that the Senate will hold a confirmation hearing for Trump's candidate. Not only does the likelihood of another Trump appointment shred the illusion that the Supreme Court stands above the political rancor of the executive and legislative branches, it weaponizes the court by gifting Trump one more opportunity to limit the political rights of the minority populations that he disparages and despises. Trump's influence on American jurisprudence has been the quietest and most successful part of his destructive presidency. He has appointed more than 200 judges to federal courts, surpassing almost any other recent president at this point in their tenure. He has also made sure that the judges he has selected for these lifetime appointments are among the youngest ever, on average 48 years old ensuring the longevity of their impact. And with 85% of his appointees being white, 
He has cemented the gross mismatch between the federal judiciary and the public. This latest development should certainly call into question the haphazard rules and procedural tricks that a lot trump the power to decisively tip the scales of justice in his favor. Pressed further, one might also ask, why should the Supreme Court, an unelected body that is richer, whiter, and more male than the United States is, continue to have such outsized power in the lives of ordinary people? The insistence that the Supreme Court is not a political body is a principle of high folly in American politics. Just last fall, Chief Justice John Roberts lamented the perception that the court was politicized. Yeah. All right. I know that was a little dry. I actually listened to it in 1.5 speed, which made it a little more spicy because you got to keep up with your ears. Mm-hmm. But, <clears throat> but the overall point is, when we look at the Supreme Court, right? The Supreme Court is who is in charge, of, according to the Constitution, with verifying and, and, and analyzing the laws so that they can be executed through the executive branch and created through the legislative branch. These are the individuals who are the last stop to the creation of law, the upholding of law, mm-hmm. the law of the land, essentially, right. right? When I listen to Dr. Carr, there are two laws that you can hear. There's judge-made law, and then there is the written law, the law that goes to Congress, et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. the judge-made law, the judge-enforced law is, is part of what the Supreme Court does. So this article brings into question the existence of this body as it is being used and weaponized to uh, uh, to be a political, a political weapon, right? Mm-hmm. So... Uh, what what I saved you from from this article, and I'm definitely going to put this up in my stories later for the people who want to check it out. I feel like the interesting part about this article is calls into question what has the civil what sorry what has the Supreme Court done for Black people? Right. So, um, I think when Black folk, I, it, I don't know, um, what is the first Supreme Court case that jumps into your mind as a Black woman? Would it be Brown versus Board of Education? I mean, it's, it's your oh, mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we think about Brown versus Orgy, Brown versus the Board of Education, which essentially does the work of desegregating schools, mm-hmm. right? One, we don't, we still don't know if that was a good thing, right? Right. There's an ancient old black argument about integration and 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 segregation, whether which one would be best for the black community. I have my thoughts as a as a, a pragmatic black nationalist, mm-hmm. so you should already know I'm more of a segregationist myself. Mm-hmm. But when we think about the lay of the land when it comes to the governance structure that is America, Brown versus the Orgy, Board of Orgy, Board of Education is a correction of Plessy versus Ferguson, right? Which is a correction of the Dred Scott case, mm-hmm. which is a correction <laughs> of the interpretations of the Civil Rights Act of 1879, mm-hmm. which is a correction of the, uh, was a correction of the amendments to the Constitution, 13, 14, and 15, mm-hmm. which are corrections to the Constitution itself. Right. So the one has to constantly, and then one has to ask, if the Supreme Court has done the work, <laughs> if the Supreme Court has one Brown versus Board of Education, but seven cases that come before it that lead to the Brown versus Board of Education, mm-hmm. has the Supreme Court done work for, done anything positive for the black community? Right. <laughs> With deliberate speed, I'm going to put that out there for all my legal people out there, in the, the Civil Rights Act of 1968, 
please don't quote me on all my legals. I took con law in Howard, at Howard, and after the first 20 minutes of being in the class, I realized, oh, I do not want to be a lawyer. Lord <laughs> have mercy. But if I'm not mistaken, con, the Civil Rights Act of 1968 said you had to implement all these new social changes with deliberate speed, mm -hmm. which gave the South time to procrastinate. Because what the fuck does with deliberate speed mean? Right. Nothing. <laughs> uh, nothing. We watched the fucking cluck you holy chicken thing last yeah. night. Mm -hmm. All this marketing language. I yeah. ain't stupid. Right. <laughs> with deliberate speed means when you feel like it. Exactly. So I don't know. I, I and, and and when you look at the demographic of the Supreme Court, we have now two women on the Supreme Court. One of them is Latina. The other is black. And then we have Clarence Thomas. And then a gaggle of white men. <laughs> and historically, the Supreme Court has resembled the roster of the Boston Celtics, mostly white. Right. Right? Looking like the Dallas Mavericks out there <laughs> who are up on the bench. And these individuals are responsible with ensuring that these laws protect everyone. <laughs> what happens if we disagree? The people? Yeah. I don't know if Americans have really asked themselves that question. I feel like the government has been happening to us. Mm, right. But what happens if we disagree? I think we forget that we also have power, that we have the ability to have our own opinions and to, you know, to disagree. I think we think we just have to. We have to like follow right, them. Right. I was having a conversation with myself. The lady of the house be hearing these conversations with myself sometimes. And then she'd be like, what you was talking about? And then I'd tell you what I was talking <laughs> <Yeah>. about. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was having a conversation with myself as I was walking away from work. And I was uh, thinking about how I would, how I would construct my own business, how I'm going to destruct my, my construct my empire, right? Mm -hmm. So we've had conversations about, and uh, and the big office upstairs on the top floor, you can always smoke a blunt with, your, with the CEO, come yeah. on in. Yeah. <laughs> but you bring a backwood, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> you can always smoke a blunt with the boss upstairs. You can always get you a blunt meeting, all right? <laughs> no, you bring it backwood, you're fine. Well, you bring it backwood, you're fine. And I'm not saying that out front, but it, it, it's just a, 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 a test of a your character. <laughs> right, 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 right. I was, having, I, was, I was having that conversation with myself, what would the governance structure of my progressive company be um and i've always been an individual who enjoyed direct democracy over the republic that we currently live in the okay. uh representative democracy that we have mm -hmm. so there's a nigga that we don't know right that we send we don't even send letters to but he votes on our behalf right right, right. he go to the senate and be like i don't want marijuana legal and we like what i never <laughs> Wait a minute. we never said that <laughs> right <laughs> hold up right so I've always been I've always been a fan of governments that's like oh every citizen votes for every law, mm -hmm. and I, I you know what I'm saying maybe maybe that's just to be my way. But when people like put work as their excuse, like it's complicated or it's mm -hmm. difficult or we got to yeah. do things or it takes too many steps, mm -hmm. whenever people put that as their barrier to entry, I just be like. Mm. <laughs> mm. So I've always been individuals like yeah let's go let's go vote for the new. Uh, Equal opportunity employment law. I'm, I'm, I'm down to go to the. I'm down to go to the to the ballot once a week, but that yeah. means we got to have systems a four day work week that allows us to actually participate in these systems. But you know, uh, the America is more business than it is politics. Anyway, wow, mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. And think about that governance structure. I think about a direct, a direct democracy, right? And so I'm I'm, I'm having that conversation in my head, and I'm also thinking Roe versus Wade is being overturned. They disrespecting the the LBG. TQ community mm -hmm. in the South with uh, basically forcing people to be closeted. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but somehow Will Smith and Chris Rock are getting, not Will Smith, Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock are being attacked on stage. So I'm wondering, and at the same time we have all these unions, the Amazon unions are popping up left and right. It's been a long time since America had a fight with itself. Uh-oh. I'm not saying like full-on civil war, but like the insurrection wasn't it. No. Insurrection was white people upset that they were outvoted. Right. We haven't had a conversation about how maybe the leaders of America, the people who are voting for American rights, the people who are having this very public, ugly display of political warfare for their own personal benefit, maybe we disagree with them at large. Right. I saw, I don't, and I, I hate to talk about our African-American brother, Elon Musk. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I just want you to remember, if Elon Musk is an African-American, we have no name. Right. Anyway, think about, our, I don't want to sound like our brother, Elon Musk, my um, African-American brother, Elon Musk, but when he put up that diagram, although it was very... Uh, um, slighted towards uh, the right's politics, he insinuated that the left that became so extreme that as a moderate he finds himself he finds himself on the right. Well, my counter argument is, well, I feel like the right has also become extreme. So whereas I found myself a centrist and an independent, I don't know where the fuck I stand. But I think where I actually stand is, I disagree with both sides. Yeah. Okay. I disagree with the passive bitch made attitude of the Democrats. Mm -hmm. I disagree with the policies and mindsets of the Republicans. So what do I have now? Mm, this is new blueprints. Like <laughs> this is new territory. I, feel, I actually feel like this is the old blueprint. This is this is like what I'm just in American history, when Americans are disagreed with their government, what happened? Is there only example of the Civil War? I feel like there can't be. It can't be. I mean, and maybe this is what the purpose of the civil of the of the Supreme Court is, right? Because we have disagreed with the government before, and then we bring these cases up to the Supreme Court. But now these positions have been weaponized to the fact that there's no longer even a a uh, resemblance of an objective body. It is now a political weapon. Mm -hmm. So now we're bringing this Roe versus Wade situation when seventy percent of Americans, women, men, trans people, queer, whoever, broke broke. Rich, wherever, when 70% of Americans, according to Elizabeth Warren, say uh, there should be no intrusion on abortions, that we need more maternal health, we need more women's reproductive protection through the law, but then these six white men on the on the court say, nah, y'all can't have that, we got a problem. There is a, there is a disagreement here. Mm -hmm. I also heard, now I got a whisper because this this, is, this includes the feminists. I also heard, and I heard this from the feminist. Now, don't go, don't be jumping on my back like, Bimo, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I might, I might not know, but this is what I heard. I also heard that the feminists, i.e. the white women, were so focused in these last 15, 20 years on electoral politics that they abandoned the grassroots reference, efforts such as women's health. And when I say grassroots efforts, who do I mean, sweetheart? Black, Latino, Did underserved communities. Yeah. I mean, to a, to a certain degree, that's why we have Planned Parenthood. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to go there, but <laughs> it's a little... darker than you, Ooh, than you think. But I, I want to go there. I, I got to do my research, but, you know... <sighs> 
right. Well, the lady of the house is going to come back with her research on Tuesday. Although you got the right to be wrong. Anyway, let's get to We got any comments? Uh, should the civil court, should the civil court, should the Supreme Court exist? And what happens if we just disagree? Swallow it and keep it moving? That don't seem like what America was built on. Well, other I was going to say, um, I think a moment in history where they, I don't want to say we, but they disagreed was like the Boston Tea Party. Oh, Lord. Right. We got to throw some white women in the water. We got any comments? <laughs> uh, Kendall says, I love this podcast because I'm reminded of old-timey terms like gaggle. Gaggle. <laughs> Man, that nigga called me old just now, but that's okay. <laughs> I called me old-timey. Good Lord. Uh. We got a couple of good mornings. Good morning, that's it? The people just listening to yeah. the argument of whether the mm-hmm. Supreme Court should exist? I mean, it's a thought. It's a thought. It's a radical thought. Uh, but when you think about it, we didn't elect these people. We didn't elect Marcia Fudge either, but at least she's doing the work we wanted to do. We didn't elect none of these uh, Supreme Court justices. That's we just point. watched them be confirmed by the niggas that we don't even send letters to. It's true. Mm. All right, it's rolling time. Um, today's rolling time is being sponsored by my man Owen. We got a great little video uh, uh, selection by my man called Delilah. I cut it in half. Oh, if you're watching right now, just for you know, just just for the audio sake, not because it ain't good. I just gotta be able to get to it and get through it. So I want y'all to watch this Delilah. You can always check out my man Owen M Hart at Owen M Hart on Instagram. You can always YouTube it, YouTube it, Delilah like Delilah and Samson from. Um, the Bible on YouTube. You can also put that in on M Hart. We're gonna play that. Roll up a little something, something, and we'll be right back with more. Wake and make we it be more. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, Infame Oda just said it's a tough argument because three checks of power is better than two to keep things in balance. We just got to argue for restructuring it to represent the public. Okay. Thank you, sweetheart. Okay. Delilah says to us, children of Samson, love me. Delilah says, I love those who love me, so learn how to love me. Delilah says, do as I say. Delilah says, doing what I say equals loving me, which equals me loving you. So if you truly, truly want me, then do this. Delilah says, cut it. This is no place for your hair or the God that resides inside of it. Side with me, Delilah says, pick me and not your hair. Delilah says the fruits of her ripe labor are at the tips of your fingers. Just cut off the history weighing you down. Delilah says it is not about where you came from. It is about where you are going. Delilah says she can fix your past. All of it, all of it was a mistake. Delilah says fix your mistakes. Delilah says you do not deserve her love. 
until you fit the description, until the God in you fits the description. The God in your kinks is unprofessional. Delilah says that the God in your locks is simply too dreadful for the beauty of the workplace, for the beauty of her. Delilah says, side with her, she'll give you all the power the God in you used to have. Untwist the God on your scalp, straighten out your head and what sits on top of it we were told to stay woke. Delilah reminds us this is still no place for our naps. She says, choose, choose, and be reminded that the God on you is so feared it can only be handled in small doses or with small changes. Permit or get rid of it permanently. Delilah will tower of babble your high top until it fades out of translation, until it tumbles down like Jericho simply by her shouting your name. You forget how strong you was made to be in the first place. She will deny the notion that your afro, your affirmation of faith, how it soaks up holy water so fast. It's as if it was dying of thirst. She tells us it is because it is possessed. We tell her no, the water is simply returning back to its root. She will deny that the Nile that kings and queens drank from runs amongst the desert of knots that is your hair. Each strand unapologetically raising up the heaven as if to say, God, we are still here. Amongst everything she tried to tell us, we are still here, still with beautiful hair. God, you anointed our heads with olive oil. Our cups have overflown indeed. She will make a forest fire of chemicals, burn the very nature that gives your scalp oxygen. She will detox the holy out of you, make you call your hair heresy, make you fear worth through those that want your features, but not your struggle. She will lie. She will tell you that your hair is an exorcism waiting to happen. There's a house full of demons that must be baptized in a river of product sins that must be cleansed with a set of clippers and even a pair of holy marys she will leave you detesting the very fabric of your texture she will tell you that you are not pretty enough to be with her you are not professional enough to eat with her you are not not you enough for anything that she has to offer delilah says abandon your hair, she says, abandon. Your heritage, Delilah says, abandon. Your God, he cannot exist in hair. And we look at her and say, he already exists in our hair. Regardless. Welcome back to Hawaii and Bake with your Mo. Yeah. We want to thank you all for that wonderful presentation. As you can see, it got me in some tears. Um, I don't know if there's allergies over. I've been moved, but I'll put that on the art this time. We appreciate you. Oh, um, Lord, I was about to say something. Oh, everybody, I need y'all to do me a favor. If you are listening to the sound of my voice, if you're on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe and like the video. Put us a thumbs up. If you're on Instagram, go ahead and subscribe uh, and hit us a whole bunch of hearts. We need them like buttons. We need them like buttons. We need them like buttons. If you're on Twitter, go ahead and, and retweet. Like the situation. We need as many algorithmic, 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 algorithmic advantages as possible. 
right? And then also before we get back to the show, remember you can always donate to the show, put a little something, something on the show. Okay, cost about two, two seventeen to put the show on. We got these wonderful lights. Got to pay the lady of the house. Got to buy the weed. I'm saying, got to pay the rent. Got to do all these things to make sure we can bring this spicy ass, beautiful content to you. So if you want to put something on the show, head to bemoauthentic.com backslash Durant, D-A-R-E-N-T, where you can put in a direct financial uh, a, a direct financial give or become a wake and bake with BMO Patreon night. So you can have a recurring pledge to the show. We'll have some exclusive content coming up there very soon, uh, but you can always get that. As I finish up this blunt, I just want to remind you that today's marijuana has been gifted to us by the good people over at Street Lawyer Services. Ooh, Street Lawyer Services. Here's something I learned. The dude who started Street Lawyer Services, his name is Lonnie. Lonnie the Street Lawyer. You got the, you got the lower third up right now? Y'all see that nigga in the hat right there? This him. <laughs> Wait, did I look like I was looking at him? <laughs> the nigga in the hat right there, that's Lonnie. They consider all the I-71 shops, which is the gray area for legal marijuana in Washington, D.C., all these shops consider Lonnie to be the OG. They consider mm -hmm. him to be the pioneer. So I'm glad to be on the OG's team, the pioneer's team, the minority winning team. That is a Latino man, y'all, okay? And the man could salsa. I saw that on his last reel. I was like, oh, goodness gracious. Mm. The man could dance. He's from Miami, of course. <laughs> I forgot. In Florida, yeah. they dance. dance. <laughs> <laughs> In Florida, they dance. And you do not have a choice. So today we are smoking uh, Zittles, watermelon Zittles and indica. So pray for me, y'all, because I got a long, I got like nine meetings in three hours. Another that conversation for another day. <laughs> another conversation for another day. Just like Alton Delete, the original, has five cuts <laughs> and seven bangers on it. Okay? If you listen to it, the good times roll. Right, and seven bangers. It's hot in July. Anyway. Um, this is not a fair view. Yeah, <laughs> y'all stay tuned to the end of the show. We got a special. We have a special video uh, from Alton Delete to Yaj and Kendall. But you know what time it is now. Maybe should I write? Should I light the blunt first? Or do I need all my vocal capacity? I'm gonna get all my vocal capacity. <laughs> it's time for the Paul Robeson Negro of the Week Award. As we know, Paul Robeson is one of the most dangerous and popular men on the planet. Never forget that Time Magazine had to write a correction. They called him the most popular Negro on the planet, and the correction was, actually, he's the most popular American on the planet, okay? But his, in, his career ended in spicy drama because they wanted to get him out to paint for his revolutionary mindset, anti-fascist Paul Robeson, okay? So for this week, oh, the people are not ready for this. The people are not ready for this. This is actually a, a, it's an interesting conversation. This week, you got it up already? The, no. This week's Paul Robeson Negro of the Week. Paul is on my side. Our Paul Robeson Negro of the Week is none other than. You put it up here? Mm hmm. You don't even know who that is. You know what? I'm not going to say his name. Let me just read this real quick. All right. Hold on. I'm don't show the, don't show the cover. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read. They can show the cover down. They still don't know who it is. <laughs> you know, niggas don't read. You can, all right. It says his name right on the front. It sure does. It's like what I say. <laughs> what I say. <laughs> and I read because Kendall said I'm old and old timey. So I put out a real book. You see these pages? Nigga, what's up? All right. Here we go. Mm -mm -mm. Civilization. So, sorry. Uh, civis. 
Yeah, civilization. That's what I thought. Civilization had brought strikingly exotic types into Susie's race. And like many, many Negroes, she was a victim to that. Ancient black life rooted upon its base with all this fascinating new layers of brown, low brown, high brown, nut brown, lemon, maroon, olive, mauve, and gold. Yellow balancing between black and white. Black reaching out beyond yellow, almost white on the brink of a change, sucked back down into the current of black by a terribly sweet rhythm of black blood. Okay. <laughs> I'm reading Claude McKay's Home to Harlem right now. That's mm-hmm. who the Paul Robeson Negro, that's this fellow right here. This is Claude McKay. Is he still there? Yeah. Claude McKay is our Paul Robeson Negro of the Week, and here's why. I'm reading Home to Harlem because right now I am absolutely fascinated by the Harlem Renaissance. We've been talking about the Chocolate, Renaissance, Chocolate City Renaissance for the like past couple of months now, right? So in doing so, I've been studying the Harlem Renaissance, which happened over a year, oh, a year ago. Happened over 100 years ago, of course, in Harlem. One of the central literary figures of that is Claude McKay. So I'm reading Home to Harlem, which is a beautiful depiction of what Harlem is in 1922. Mm-hmm. Written, from, written from the perspective of a real ass nigga. Right? So right. there's a nigga named Jake in Harlem. He like he like getting drunk. He likes smoking weed. He like fucking bitches. That's his thing. <laughs> That's his thing. He ran away from the World War One to go back to Harlem. Mm-hmm. Called Home to Harlem. Right? In this book, every description of every black character starts with the color tone. And all the colors that he named. It's like all the things that he named just now yeah. are also in there. Nut, mm-hmm. mauve, gold, light brown, mid brown. The same way that we talk about light skinned niggas now. Right, the mm-hmm. same way that we are categorizing niggas now. But then I think about it in terms of 1920. And one of the part of the books he calls a nigga Uncle Tom. Mm-hmm. To which I asked the lady of the house, do you know how hurtful it would have been? Do you know how hurtful it would have been to be called Uncle Tom in 1920? Yeah. Beecher Stowe is still alive. Right. And that made me think, what was it to be light-skinned in 1920? See, I'm looking at Yaj now. Sorry, Yaj, you're my first light-skinned brother, I think, in my mind. I look at Yaj now, and I don't automatically think multiracial. I just think light-skinned. Yaj is a light-skinned dude. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's grandma white. I don't think so, but I wouldn't guess so. Right. But in 1920, what did it mean to be light-skinned? What did it mean to be closer to whiteness in 1920 and not have an appreciation for what black is yet. Harlem Renaissance brings an appreciation for blackness, but that don't come until the end of the 20s. So in 1922, mm-hmm. when it's not cool to be black, right. when being black is also a death sentence, when being black is, is key tickets to discrimination, what did it mean to be light-skinned? Mm. That's a good, yeah. It's a good parallel, mm-hmm. right? It makes me think about what it means to be biracial now. Right. The Paul Robeson Negro of the Week, Claude McKay, is not because he was dangerous. I actually understand light-skinned people better because of reading this book. Okay. Hold on. I'll write this one. Oh, but something you just said makes me wonder. You said that there's, like, parallels between light-skinned people from the Harlem Renaissance and biracial people now. Mm -hmm. But wouldn't it be different because, well... How do you get light skin? Well, no, because I'm saying biracial people now, it's not necessarily a given that their parents directly were white or like their grandparents were white, but it could be like somewhere down in their lineage. And that's not the same as like. Is that how biracial? Well, no. Okay, no. Okay, yeah. You're right. You're right. I mean, like, 
okay, back in the 20s, 1920, it was like, oh, my parent or my grandparent is white. But now it's like, you can be light-skinned and still be considered biracial, but like, it's not necessarily your parents that were, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm trying to say like, I've seen people, I don't know, whatever, never mind. Go ahead. I, Work it out. I don't know. Don't shut down on me. You, we live make, on the show. I'm looking at you. I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to say, like, you can be multiracial now, but it's like it's been in your lineage. You can be multiracial now, and light skin had been in your lineage before. Is that what you're saying? I, yeah, yeah. Like I'm trying to say. What are you, what are you, what are you trying to say in I'm comparison try, to, to say, the modern? The modern biracial in the 1920 light skin. I'm trying to say whiteness was more close to people in the 20s than it is for most biracial people. Right. I agree. I agree. So, uh, what I agree. And what I mean by like understanding light skinned people better, um, I have no idea the trials and tribulations that light-skinned people have within their blackness. No idea. Yeah. No idea. And if I'm being honest, mm, maybe, okay, my first thought was if I'm giving honest, I don't give a fuck. I do give a fuck, but I don't give a fuck. I do give a fuck, but I don't really care. I don't care, but I, I kind of care. You feel what I'm saying? No, you don't get what I'm saying? Like, the problems that light-skinned people have with their blackness it exists because mm -hmm. we have seen uh, I'm looking at my dark skinned sister right now. We have seen the light skinned people overcompensate for their blackness. I've seen that happen my whole life. Yeah. So I'm imagining their connection to blackness is something that they have to deal with themselves within their own skin tone. The reason why I say I understand them better after reading this book from a hundred years ago, my man wrote this book a hundred years ago in the midst of, of a great awakening of black art. In 1920, you had a choice to make, right? If you were light-skinned. You had a choice to make, especially if you were passing. Yeah. I don't even want to get to the passing people. I just want to get to the light-skinned like light people. You had a choice to make, according to Claude McKay. You were stuck between two things. You were stuck between black and white. You could mm -hmm. assimilate more towards white culture, of course you would still be oppressed, disenfranchised, et cetera, whatever. Yeah. But you would be choosing, you would be seen more favorably amongst white and you could revel in that. But when you go down to Harlem, when you head back down to Brooklyn and most of your neighborhood is dark skin, you can't revel in that privilege. Right. Understanding that, and, and I'm, I'm saying, I keep saying 1920, because the Niagara movement happened in 1905, which means they stopped legally lynching niggas 15 years beforehand. 1920 is also the same year where we have the most blackface in public in, in public entertainment. That's wild. Right? It's also the roaring 20s where white people are starting to discover they don't have to be so rigid towards the things that they prescribed during the antebellum South, right? Yeah. I'm saying 1920 because all of the effects of slavery are literally at your grandma, not even at your at your mother's feet. Right. In 1920, slavery ended 20 years, 60 years ago. Wild. That means okay. Did your grandma play cards with her friends? 
Sure, she did. Yeah. Yeah. My my uh my grandfather used to play cards with his friends, and it would be a whole bunch of his peers coming in, right? And they yeah. would do that. Till he was like seventy, all the way till he died in the old folks' home, right? Yeah. Can you imagine going to an old folks' home and they telling you stories about slavery? I that's crazy. I saw a video of this woman. I think she's like one hundred and three, and she was talking about how she was yeah enslaved. She was picking cotton. Well, picking she was enslaved. Oh no, she wasn't enslaved. She was picking cotton though, yeah, but yeah. like it would be for pennies. Yeah, some sharecropper shit. Yeah, she was giving sharecropper stories. And she was one hundred three years. Yeah. One hundred three years. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going? Not even old folks home. Can you imagine going to your uncle house? Right. And he talking about slavery. Hey, y'all remember? Y'all remember uh, Boss John? What? Huh? So you take that and you extrapolate that through the colorism that was embedded through chattel slavery. You damn right in 1920 Harlem when a light-skinned girl come in here acting like a house nigga, we're going to talk about you. Yeah. Hmm. Which is why I understand light-skinned people better now. I understand. I see what you're going through. I see your struggle. You are seen. Paul Robeson, Negro of the Week. Claude McKay. I know you're not going to read it, but go ahead and check it out. Um, Home to Harlem by Claude McKay. It is a wonderful, I mean, it is a wonderful depiction of Harlem in 1920. Uh, it's got ugly people in there. The best thing I like about it, so the passage I just read to you, the passage I just read to you was def- it was definitely like a beautiful prose. But the way the characters talk are like how you and I talk. Did you say it got ugly people in there? Yeah, some <laughs> ugly people in there. There's one girl in there who they keep calling her ugly. Wow. You know what's you know what's crazy about that that lady? She dark skinned. She's dark skinned, ugly, and older, and knows the reason why men like her is because she knows how to use her skills of entertainment from her serving days in white homes to entertain them. Well. And tries to drink away her memories of slavery, which is kind of crazy. Damn. Right? Right? Whoa. Think about think about if you're going to AA in 1925 because you got a drinking problem and a man across from you was sharing stories about he got a drinking problem because he tried to forget slavery. That's insane. <laughs> wow. What a wild thought. All right. We got any comments? Not really. Because niggas don't read. <laughs> God damn it. Y'all got to read, man. <laughs> Y'all really got You know what? We're going to start playing read a book in the middle of the show. <laughs> what? We're going to start playing read a book in the middle. You remember the video? Read a book, read a book, read a motherfucking book. <coughs> Niggas got to read. Niggas got to get that read on. And if not, get your audio book on. What you listening to? Have you ever been... Maybe this is the grown man in me. We're going to get to the last part. Have you ever been sitting and doing something... And then you see yourself sitting there doing it, and you're like, why is my dumb ass sitting here watching the NBA All-Star game from 1993? What? Yeah. <laughs> why am I sitting here wasting my time yeah. going down? Why am I doing this? What am this? I doing? What yeah. am I doing? That's when you need a book. <laughs> That's when you need a book. That's when you need to go read or write or do something, okay? Yeah. Well, Kendall said, uh, and no one wants to hear about the light skin experience. Who? Kendall, with a laughing face. Who wants to hear about the light skin experience? He said, and no one wants to hear about the light skin experience. Nah, it's like nobody wants to hear about the <laughs> nobody wants to hear about uh, what men go through during during puberty. <laughs> it's the second most fascinating story amongst the two. It's pretty cool though. It's pretty cool. 
It's pretty cool. I get, and you would never notice because girls got their own shit going on. They got new things coming out their body. Their body is becoming phenomenal. Your tits is growing. You're getting taller. Your voice is changing. So many things happen to women. You're getting oogled at by men. It's like so many things. Right. <laughs> you know what happens to men during puberty? We bump into stuff. Okay. I was going to say pretty much the same thing except things don't come out of you. Well, not involuntarily. You grew so fast, you're just bumping into shit now. <laughs> and your voice changed. That's it. You're tall. You got facial hair, maybe? I guess, but like, it's like, <laughs> but then you get it and you realize facial hair is annoying. <laughs> it's annoying. Fucking ingrown hairs and shit. All right, let's get to the last topic. The last topic. What's the last topic? Cosmic slope. It's your topic. Lady of the house. Well, I don't know if y'all know this, but we talk about it often. But I, how many times I call you a day? Like at least three. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny to me because we live together and still and i'll be calling you like you don't see me lay your house we were on a conversation the other day she dropped this uh this show on my lap called cosmic slop mm-hmm. if you've heard of cosmic slop throw a random emoji into the chat please we appreciate you um I didn't get a chance to watch it, but in watching the beginnings of it this morning, hosted by George Clinton? Yeah, right. Produced by Reggie Hudlin? You know who Reggie Hudlin is? Mm-mm. Reggie Hudlin, I guess that this is in 90... That came out in 94, so I don't know. This is in 94. Reggie Hudlin's next job is at BET. Oh. You remember wow. uh, the epi- the band episode of the Boondocks, Reggie Hudlin? Um, there was like this 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 fat black dude they kept like fucking with. I don't know. We have to watch that. Okay. But there was a the only was funny is the only reason I know the executives of BET is because of the band episodes of the Boondocks, wow. um, <laughs> which is Deborah Lee and Reggie Hudlin, right? So oh, I know the Deborah Lee episode. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Reggie's in that episode. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What's up? Oh, um, I guess Art for the Black Market says it's amazing. They know about. Oh, Cosmic Slop? Cosmic Slop, yeah. Art for the Black Market's got a... Nigga, did you apply to Creative Theory? Creative Theory? I hope you did. I hope you did. I hope you did. I really do. If you didn't, you should. You should You should apply to be the art director at Creative Theory. Now, I don't know if they're going to fuck with you because I don't really understand what it takes <laughs> to be uh, in the agency. I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? I just don't I don't know what it takes. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I'm just here. And every time I look around, these niggas working so hard, and I'm looking at what I'm doing like... You said you got nine meetings, sweetheart. What you I'm talking saying, about? I'm saying, right. And, but like my, my meetings are like... So far about what they sometimes I be sitting to me and I don't know I tell you this all the time. I don't know what the fuck they be talking about. <laughs> I be looking, I be paying attention. I be like, what is going on? Sweet funny up. story, real quick. Funny story, real quick. On a project. We've been on a project maybe like 10 days now, right? Mm-hmm. 10 days. The account people have been going back and forth. And when the account people talk to each other, that's when I'm most like, what's going on? Yeah. What's happening? They've been going back and forth for 10 days. Right. Apparently, the problem that I noticed on day 11 <laughs> was happening on day one. The people told the people you got two weeks <laughs> and the other people say we could do it in six. And so my people have been like, you don't have six. <laughs> you got two. I just realized what they were saying yesterday. <laughs> it took me 10 days. Here I am reading Claude McKay, understanding uh, uh, the intersection of biracial, multiracial, and light-skinnedness through a 100-year gap. 
focusing through the Harlem Renaissance while also analyzing race through an Afrofuturistic and Afro-surrealistic framework. But I can't understand what two niggas is talking. It's a different, it's a different language. Did we get to the last topic, or I just go on a rant just now? <laughs> you started talking about it. But <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> oh, oh, he said he did. Yeah. Oh, our from the black market. My man Maurice has on Friday, on Saturday, he's opening his. I think it's a black ad museum. Oh wow, that's dope. Okay. <laughs> He's doing installation on black, black propaganda, wow. which I have grown to love because of my uh, my recent uh, intersection and workings with creative theory. So, uh, um, yeah. So yeah, y'all go check that out. That's why I was saying that. But Cosmic Slop is black as hell. Oh yeah. I didn't even like get through the whole episode. It's like, oh, this is a black ass show. Yeah. Let's show the people this situation in Cosmic Slop, and then I want to talk about it in relation to. I feel like what we've been talking about for the last four shows, for the last four or five shows, which is if our presence is not our value, then what is it? Mm-hmm. Lady House brings this Afro surrealistic moment up to us and it begs us to answer that question in a very ridiculous science fiction way. Mm-hmm. Hit it! It takes two to make a thing go right. <laughs> right? <laughs> it takes two to make it out of sight. Yeah, you gotta press play yeah. or, or like refresh it. Gotcha. Okay. So here we have a very science fiction situation where aliens have landed on the planet. They are talking to the leadership of the United States and they said that we will trade you all your black people for every solution to every energetic and resource problem that you currently have on earth. Mm-hmm. Lady of the house told me the whole story, but while we're doing, while this is happening, before I get into what the evaluation at the ending is, I want to to put in the chat. I want you to answer if you think the United States gave up black people or not. Just just give a guess. <laughs> just give a guess. If you think they gave up black people, put up a random emoji. If you don't think they put up black people, say, "God save the queen." <laughs> um. So this question begs us to ask: Is the what is the value of blackness to the planet of Earth through the perspective of the United States? Mm-hmm. Are we as valuable to the United States as all the resources in the world? If, if we are, what is that value? Mm-hmm. Is that a proper value? Should we even be evaluating this through a capitalistic mindset? Is that even the problem right there? Mm-hmm. Um, like we were watching Don't Look Up when they, when they abandoned the first mission because they realized that the the asteroids were valuable. Right. How is it valuable if it might destroy you? It... And, but I think most importantly is not necessarily what the value is, but how do we calculate that value? Mm-hmm. If you were to put blackness on a scale, not how much would it weigh, what you putting on that scale? That kind of brings me to something I want to talk about too. Okay. All right, all right. I don't know if my man's is watching, and if you are watching, um, pretend I'm not talking to you. But my man's is becoming an American citizen pretty soon, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> as a, again, fan is the wrong word, 
as a studier and a, a very well knowledge person in America. Mm-hmm. What's crazy is I think if I, you know, it says it takes 10,000 hours to be, to be a master or something. Mm-hmm. We masters at America. Damn. 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 To be a master in America. Wow. Anyway. Yeah, I like that. Um, man's just becoming a citizen, so he's got to take the test, right? That's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Somebody getting, becoming a natural citizen of the United States. That's cool. But it's made me question, like, I, I read some of the questions, like, none of, this do, none of this got to do with blackness. How do you get your black American card? Although there is no black American card, there is no mm-hmm. black American. How do you get your black American card? What you need to know? Yeah. This kind of brings that to the this brings that into the same fold. What goes on to that scale? How do you test this nameless people? Can you be naturalized into? Can you be naturalized into whatever the fuck we are? Yeah. <clears throat> That's a great question. Can you be naturalized into whatever the fuck you are? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Because it's interesting because we talk about black, we talk, we're usually talking about the descendants of slavery, right? Right. Well, I'm sorry. When we're talking about black, we're talking about a lot of intersections of the people with melanin. Okay. Right? right. That could be your immigrants, your descendants of slavery, the different genders, the different sexual experiences, conviction rates. Oh, so you're saying black is all encompassing of. Black is all encompassing of all these melanated yeah. people in our common harm, if you will. In the diaspora. In the diaspora, right? Right. right. <clears throat> and just a moment ago, we were talking about Claude McKay, right? Mm-hmm. Claude McKay from Jamaica. Mm, I didn't know that. Okay. Name some Jamaican names. You're going to get it. I forgot what his real name. His first name is... Is it Winston? <laughs> Winston! <laughs> <laughs> I definitely know um, Jamaican Winston. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's one of those. Oh, Jamaica's got the coolest names. Hold on, I'm gonna look it up real quick. Claude McKay's real name is taking me too long. Anyway, um, so we talk about this black thing, like what exactly are we talking about? Because Claude McKay, central member to the Harlem Renaissance, we call him black now through time, mm-hmm. but that man was a Jamaican. <clears throat> right? Yeah. Um. Oh, and I also asked you, because one of the questions you were going to put on, well, you didn't get there yet, yeah. but, um, you know, the black billionaires. Mm-hmm. Rihanna is a billionaire right, now. Exactly. Right. Right. So, like, when we say when we say black, what exactly do we mean? How could you ma- be naturalized into the situation? What is even what is even this situation? If Elon Musk is an African-American, then we are a nameless people. Mm-hmm. Right? Festus. His name is Festus. Festus. Festus Claudius. <laughs> nice. Um, McKay OJ? Interesting. Interesting. I'm learning on the show. My bad, y'all. Um, what, is it? what is the value of blackness? How do we weigh it? And what exactly we put on that situation? So I have, I started off in two different mindsets. I wanted to write my man as a black naturalization test, mm-hmm. right? So if you have any suggestions of, of what you need to know to be a naturalized black citizen, definitely throw that in the chat. Send me a DM. I'm going to definitely 
run it up, but I have a few. I don't know if I want to preview few on the show or just sell them at the Patreon, but I have a few. Um, one of them is you have to name all the members of at least three black bands. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Can you give me three black political speeches? Not I had a dream. Mm-hmm. Can you name five civil rights activists younger than the age of 18? Where is the black belt? Mm-hmm. Where is the black kitchen? <laughs> Cause I saw some kids calling it back edges. What? What? Exactly. <laughs> Never. <laughs> That's your back edges. Never nah, that. bro. <laughs> nah, bro. Nah, nah, bro. Um. But yeah, did people vote? Did people say what they thought was gonna happen? Oh yeah, we got we got some emojis. Okay. We got some comments too. Did anybody anybody saving the queen? Well, they, they, yeah, that's that's true. They, they gave them black folks up. <laughs> <laughs> they gave them black folks up. And what's crazy is the black folks had an opportunity to, to eventually they had an opportunity to to advocate for themselves and show what their worth is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe we'll show that on, on Tuesday's show, what, what they thought. Mm-hmm. But white people was like, no. Nah. Right. And we never find out what happened with the Malians. And it wasn't even close. It was like 63 yes, 37 no. Right. Damn. Ooh. Right. That's also that also speaks to larger. What's crazy is I haven't even watched the episode. I'm gonna watch the episode, I guess, tomorrow or whatever. Oh, funk parade coming up, y'all. Y'all should go on Saturday. <laughs> um I guess I'll watch it Sunday, I guess. <laughs> but I also feel like this episode is speaking to like capitalism as well, like Mm-hmm. There are so many things that are out of our control as blackness uh, that we are being controlled by through or controlled through capitalism mm-hmm. that it kind of makes us feel like, you know, still property in a sense. Right. But all right, y'all. Right. <clears throat> I need that burning question for the road. Hmm. <clears throat> okay. So, if we have said that there is, like, your value is not in your blackness or whatever you are, like, just being. Just just being is not your value. Right, 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 right. 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 I'm, trying to, I'm trying to tie this into this. I know, I know. I'm trying, I'm trying to tie this into this, though. Like. Hmm. <clears throat> there was something you said in the beginning of the conversation. It was like something about like the amount of the uh, the commodities attached to. I don't remember exactly what you said, but you said something like. I'm lost with it. I don't know. Still need that burning question. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to ask you. 
Uh, here you go. Uh, oh, Lord. Read some comments. What, what comments we got? Uh, you all jittery and yeah. all. I'm looking at you all intensely. Yeah, I'm all nervous. Yeah. I know it's just you. But. <clears throat> Basically, I'm trying to say, like, if if our value is not in our blackness, but they wanted to trade us because we're black, like. What, what do I think the aliens value of us is? Yeah. I have no idea. I have no idea. Like they were willing to a, fix all of the the natural resources issues of the world, and yeah, for black people. Okay, I'm gonna put my I'm gonna put my I'm gonna put my sandals on the feet of the aliens at the moment. Let me see. I'm gonna see what they're thinking about. Let me see here. Or not even. It doesn't even have to be from the aliens' perspective. It could be from like, like even taking it to slavery. Why would what is our value then, if it's not in our blackness? You asked me the last time. No, but I'm saying like, why would they trade? I don't know. Like, I've, do you you see what I'm saying? No, that's <laughs> why that's why I'm going to take it from the extreme perspective of actually thinking what the aliens want. Okay. Right. Because if it's not the aliens, I ain't thinking about the white people, and I don't want to put myself in the shoes of white people. I'd rather put myself in the shoes of a extraterrestrial being with maybe positive ulterior motives. But if I'm thinking there's an alien for a moment, I have traveled to Earth. I have the ability to bring an abundance of resources to Earth that are unique to Earth. And they also have a unique resource that is unique to me. Would I... Would I travel millions of light years for something that was invaluable? No. No. And whatever I have, this gold and oil and, and power and shit must not be worth shit where I'm from. Therefore, it has no universal value, which to me thinks about, to me is like, now that I'm tying the two metaphors together, what is the value of whiteness? So I can point to jazz and say, here's something that's black and valuable. Here's the thing. I can't even hold it. But here's a thing that is unique to the black experience and valuable to the experience of the world and could be valuable to the experience of the universe, but what is of whiteness that could do the same? Mm. What is culture when you have none? A nuisance, a product, a tradable asset. something that you could vote against 63 to 37. We don't need that. We could have physical resources. But what if those physical resources, what are the things that you are trading for are actually not worth a damn? What have white people traded for? They have done all these things for what? 
to be on top of what? A dying planet, a dying, soulless, cultureless vacuum of a planet. Oh, Earth is ghetto. I want to leave. So if I'm putting myself in the if I'm putting myself in the in the foot of the aliens, then it makes me understand that actually the things that white people traded for aren't worth a damn. Right. You would give up jazz for oil? What? You know we running out of that. Which means we use it too much. And you know that's what's killing the planet. Right. Wow. All right, any comments? Twelve more keys. Is that Steven? Yeah. What's up, Steven? What up, nephew? Uh, Honestly, I think the term naturalized was something conceived by the founding fathers, using that term very loosely. Because for the founding fathers? Yeah, Yeah, it's in in quotes. Uh, Because for the longest, we've been taught to acquiesce ourselves to, quote unquote, their standards. So as far as naturalization is concerned, you're born natural. Mm. I read the fruit market got a shirt out around, got a shirt out right now that says, we don't go natural, we return. That's real. <laughs> Aficionado said, we invented humanity, they invented race, so it was really never our thing to define it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Kendall says, speaking of value going up, by the way, can we talk about that magazine cover you made for a second? Huh? Uh, <laughs> I'm a man and media. <laughs> <laughs> I want you know what's crazy? I actually I want to write more. I want to write more. Okay. I want to do more of the written situations. Um. All right, y'all. We want to thank y'all for watching another episode of Hawaii Can Make We It Be. Oh, you can always catch us on the Spotify, on the Apple Music, on BeMoreAuthentic.com. Episodes coming out every Thursday, so you can catch both on the week. But you can catch the instant, the instant rewatch on Twitter and on YouTube right now. Um, subscribe, like, smash that like button. We're gonna end y'all with uh, the best of me video by Yaj and Kendall. Make sure you say good morning to the lady of the house. Constantly be questioning your value, how you are contributing. If you are not contributing, do we need value? Do we need value? Huh. See y'all on Tuesday. Good morning. (laughs) This sounds terrible. We have our biggest show in three days, and you still don't have it down. Paige, come on. I mean, I took like three weeks to learn this tambourine, and honestly, you're the one who's always late to band practice. Um, I think we're all just hungry, like... Yeah, just be cool, man. I might have been a little flat. Mercury's in retrograde and I need to protect my peace. I'm out of here. Wait, what? What does that even mean? Wait.
Hey, one of y'all musty. What's that smell? I know you better open this garage door. God damn. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Take your energy.